Good heavens, it's a Bobcast. Welcome to episode 14. Um, just straight off the bat, I want to just quickly apologize for the fact that the uh, podcast hasn't been coming out as regularly over the last um, month. Uh, quite simply, I've just been touring uh, pretty much for half of every week, uh, sometimes throughout whole weeks, um, for many, many, many weeks now. Um, I've been really, really busy traveling around a lot and it's just been really hard to find the time to organize them um, and then to find the time to actually do them and then all the edit, you know, the editing and stuff that I do afterwards all takes heaps of time and so I found that really challenging. So unfortunately, they have not been as regular but um, hopefully after Christmas when we get into the new year, I'll uh, have a bit more time again and I'll be able to sort of get back into pushing one out every fortnight which is you know the uh, my original intention um anyway this will be the last episode that i'll do for the year and it's with my good mate saya vogel uh she's uh from brisbane she plays in a band called second and she also plays as the keyboardist in the regurgitator um and she has just started podcasting herself she's got a podcast which we talk about in this it's called hearsay that's h-e-a-r S-E-J, Hearsay. Um, now, I am the guest on her podcast. I think it's it might be episode three, but if you go check out her podcast, Hearsay, look for the episode that has me, Bob Evans, um, or Kevin Mitchell. I'm not quite sure how she's going to um, put it, but um, look for the episode that I do with her. Because it's, it's kind of important because we recorded her podcast and then this podcast back to back. So I think it's kind of worthwhile listening to her one first before listening to this one because otherwise there might be sort of stuff in this one that we refer to and it might not make sense. So if you're listening to this now, stop stop what you're doing. Go and over to Hearsay, listen to Hearsay, the episode starring with me as the guest uh, and then come back and listen to this if you've you know got the time or the inclination. Um, it would probably it will make a lot of things make a lot more sense if you do that. All right, uh, don't forget, of course, to check out the ongoing Good Evans at the Bobcast soundtrack on Spotify, where all the songs, where three songs from this podcast will be added to that list, um, and of course, the usual the explicit language uh, is coming up. So if you don't like that, maybe turn off this podcast um i think that's about it i've been having such a great time on the road with uh josh as i record this we're just going into the last three shows that are all in uh victoria um thank you so much to all the people that listening that have come to see us play over the last month um it's, it's been so much fun and i'm so glad that we managed to fit it in to the end of the year before christmas uh which is really just around the corner now um so Thank you to everybody who's been supporting this podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Um, and yeah, like I said, I'm going to try to uh, get back into this properly next year um, and do lots more podcasts with uh, lots more interesting people. So thank you. Don't forget you can uh, rate and review on iTunes if you have been enjoying it. Um, and... I think that that's probably it. I don't have anything else to plug. I mean, next year I'm planning on doing uh, a bunch of regional touring. Um, 
sort of probably not till kind of March onwards. But yeah, I'm going to try and I might do some Capital City shows as well. Um, but I'm definitely going to try and get to as many regional uh, towns and cities um, that I haven't played yet uh, in that in that time next year. So yeah, anyway, I'll talk about that next year. Uh, there's also another thing, right? This in this episode, um, and also in the podcast that I've already recorded with Saya, we talk about this gig that I did in 2007 or 8. I can't exactly remember which year. Um, and it's uh, it's the closing ceremony of the Special Olympics held in Shanghai in China. And um, I was invited to go over there and represent Australia and, and sing this hideous theme song. Um, that's what we talk about a lot in this podcast. And hang around to the end of the podcast for the full recording of that song. We talk about it in great detail on Sayers, um, on Hearsay, on Sayers podcast. So again, I really encourage you to listen to that uh, and get the full story because it is, I've, it's the, I've been basically, I've kept it a secret for almost 10 years. Um, never told anybody about it. I've now just got to the point where I'm kind of in full confession mode and uh, I'm, I'm just putting it out there and now I'm just to hell with the consequences. So, um, <laughs> so I think you will really get a laugh out of it. It's 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 really, really strange. Um, great. Okay. Enjoy. Merry Christmas. This is uh, episode 14 of Good Heavens, It's a Bobcast. Hello, Saya. Hi, Kev. Thank you very much for joining me on the Bobcast. Thanks for having me. We've actually have been talking for quite a while. <laughs> um, we've been we've 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 come right off the back of recording an episode of your podcast, which you've just recently started called Hearsay. That's right, with an S E J. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> uh, some people tried to talk me out of the hearsay because they thought it, everyone would just read it as hearsay. Ah, yes. But you know what? Saya, I think it's important to always think of your audience as being smart, intelligent, capable human That's beings. True. That's true. You know? And they are. Yeah. I think if you, if you sort of go into it with that mindset, then they, you know, your audience will respond in, in kind. That's that's a nice attitude. That's my that's my yeah. that's my theory. It helps me sleep. At, <laughs> helps me sleep at night. Anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I've listened to the first two episodes. The first episode is with Quan from Regurgitator, which I love, yep. being a massive Regurgitator fan. Yeah. Um, and then the second episode is with Ben Corbett from a, a Brisbane band called Six Foot Hick, which yep. I guess maybe no everyone would have would know. I certainly remember Six Foot Hick. A, bit but um yeah they may not be aware of of, i think they're a really big band in melbourne so they they travel to melbourne a lot and um 
and yeah, obviously they've been around Brisbane a really long time. So I've known those guys for ages. And they and Ben also sings in this band called Gentle Ben and his sensitive side. Yes, yeah. Was that you pouring another glass of wine? Sure was. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean another? How do you Sorry. know? God. Um, I think but, you and I, we're going to be so drunk by the end of this one. Yeah, no, no, we'll, we'll be fine. The last one I did, we, I did one with Josh Pike recently where we basically yeah. just, we just pretended we were Roy and HG and we went through all the, <laughs> we went through all the nominees for the ARIA Awards. Um, yeah, I heard that one. Yeah, and it, it, I thought it was all fine. And then a few days later when I listened back to it to kind of edit it together, I realised that I was pretty much shouting for half of it. <laughs> It's like, oh, shit. Like, what? Why, did I, why did I do that? You just were really excited. I was just, yeah, just excited and probably a little bit pissed as well. Yeah. But, um, it's been really hard to do the um, do the podcast regularly lately because I've been touring pretty much every week. Yeah. Since, um, uh, since the end of October. Um, yeah, because I saw you at um, Day on the Green. That seemed like a while ago now. Yeah, totally. Well, that was the f- that was. Day on the Green was pretty much November, like every weekend in November. Yeah. And then three days after the Day on the Green tour finished, I started the tour with Josh. Oh. Um, and you had yeah. to learn all of his songs. That's right. Yeah, I had to and learn. And he's got so many words. It's, it was really hard work. <laughs> it <was> really <laughs> so many hard words. Work. I love his songs and I really enjoyed getting to know them really intimately. Yeah. Um, there was a, it was a, it's been really great and the and the show's been going really really well but yeah it was a, it was a big amount of work and there were definitely times where me and Josh were both like oh man have we bitten <laughs> off more than we could chew here <laughs> because we came up with this idea like ages you know months and months and months ago and you know the whole sort of idea came about because we were you know just thinking like what's the best show that we can conceive what's the best thing that we can kind of conceive to do yeah and that's what we came up with. But then when you actually start to engage in the reality of doing that, like yeah. making making that actually happen, it's like, oh, fuck. So much work. Why, <laughs> why, did, why have we done this to ourselves? But I should point out too to people who are listening and, you know, we've you're done this podcast, but you're obviously also a musician. You, um, Well, why don't you tell 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 everybody uh, your your musical background? Uh, well, I played in a band called Sekiden for a really long time, which is where I got to know you because Sekiden supported Jebediah a few times. Yeah. Um, well, we and... did a, let's expand on that. So Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we, I think, well, actually, I don't think either of us can exactly remember, but I think it was no. about 2001. Yeah, early, did... early 2000s. And there might be people listening that could, could, um, help us fill in the gaps here but I'm I think it might have been 2001 just before the third year but I reckon we did a national yeah. tour together um, and I, I felt like it was a bit of a long like we did um not only capital cities yeah we did some some regionals as well we would have yeah definitely at that um, point in time every time yeah. we every time we toured we always were away for a long time because we were yeah we'd, we'd leave Perth and wouldn't come home until the tour finished so you know yeah but um, um, so then, yeah, I think that that was 
yeah, that was your single tour, I think, and it was Sekiden Jebediah and this band from Canada called the Saltines. Yes, that's right. And and I think we all became fast friends. I know I certainly still uh, keep in touch with the guys from the Saltines. Ah, cool. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, and they ended up signing Sekiden to their label, and Jebediah yes. put you know put out our record as well. So that was like, yes. really fortuitous tour for us to do. We put out. Um, to- I think, did we put out a couple of your records, didn't we? I think it might have just been the one. Or was that only one? Yeah, I think it was just the one. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, that was um, that was how we met, I think, a long yeah. time ago when we were kids. <laughs> yeah. I still felt like I was a kid. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and I'm like heaps older than you and I still thought <laughs> I was a kid. <laughs> so you were definitely still a kid. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to totally, like, ruin my whole, you know, idea of myself. Yeah, I was, like, 12. <laughs> I was 12. Yeah, I was, like, 16. Yeah, that, that works. That works. <laughs> um, and then um, after Sekiden, or during Sekiden, really, I started playing keyboards in Regurgitator. Yeah. And I did that full-time for, I think, about four years or something. And then now I just sort of do stuff with them sporadically. How did the Regurgitator thing come about? Uh, it, it was, I was just thinking about that the other day. I think it happened really organically. Like we toured with Reg- Second and supported Regurgitator on a few tours as well. And we all got along really well. And then one night when we were playing together in Brisbane, I said to Ben, uh, Ben Eli, the bass player, uh, don't tell Quan, but Black Bugs is my favourite regurgitator song. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, it has like such a great keyboard solo in it and I always loved um, yes. their keyboard heavy songs. And Ben was like, oh, you should play it with us tonight. And I said, oh, I don't know it. And he was like, oh, let's just learn it backstage. And so we learnt it. And then uh, the first time I played it with the band was in front of hundreds of people. And that was sort of... Um, was really fun and I just played the one song and then um, we did the same thing again. We were on the same bill at Luna Park. What was that festival they had there? They had like was a little... In Melbourne? Melbourne Luna yeah. Park or Sydney? No, it was in Sydney, I think. Anyway, they had this festival there and Regurgitator Headline and Sekidon had played as well and they were like, oh, let, let's do that song again. You can do the solo. Uh, and that was really, I was really nervous cause that was in front of a few thousand people. And then, um, and then the next time they came to Brisbane, they played Valley Fiesta and they said, oh, you should come do that song and maybe you could learn another few songs. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I learned a couple just at home to iTunes. And then literally the first time I played those songs with the band was on stage um, which was pretty nerve wracking. And I think I yeah. probably only did like maybe four songs or something. And then, yeah, and then the next, and then I think the next tour they did, they said, "Oh, you should learn all the songs and come on tour with us." So, it was a really sort of progressive, like, yeah, f- funny thing that happened. That I didn't even really know it was happening. <laughs> had they had they been? Because I remember seeing, and and in fact, listening to your podcast reminded me of this. I remember doing the big day out with Regurgitator when they had uh, Shane playing yeah. keyboards with them, and and I hadn't thought about that for years. For such a long time until I listened to your podcast and Quan yeah. mentioned it. Um, so, had they they gone a few years like without yeah, having I think, a keyboardist and yeah, I think they'd had they'd had a break after um, 
after art came out or even after yeah I think they'd had a break after that or after the next that Eduardo album and then um yeah Quan was overseas for a while and stuff and then he came back and and then when they started yeah they I guess they started doing stuff again when he came back and they didn't have a keyboard player at that point so I don't think it was ever a conscious decision to to sort of have a keyboard player and I think I mean maybe they missed it um, for a while yeah. when they were touring without one but I think Shane was doing uh, maybe he was doing something else at the time I know he, he was doing a teaching degree or I know it's sort of see him around yeah like listening to Quan talk about it just brought back so many memories about how he talked in your podcast about how you know how nervous he was and he was, his hands yeah. were shaking and I remember yeah. that his hands were shaking and yeah. like and, and uh, Quan describes how his hands are just shaking until like just a fraction of a second before they would hit a key <laughs> on the keyboard. <laughs> I know, and then he was actually a really good player. <laughs> you know, obviously, I'm assuming you didn't um, experience that same level of nerves that uh, all that showed. <laughs> well, I think they, d- they it must certainly... have been pretty intense, though, right? Because you were yeah. obviously a big fan and um, sort of, you know, becoming absorbed into. A band like Regurgitator, you know, that had been around for a long time and that you admired. I mean, it must have, you know, it must have been yeah. come with some certain challenges. Oh, it know. definitely did, and it yeah, it was a really funny time because, as I said, I was they 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 hate rehearsing, so <laughs> I was sort of um, put in these situations where you know I'd learn these songs by myself and. Uh, you know, at home in, in my studio and then I'd go out on tour with them and the first time I played the song was either at Soundcheck or in front of everyone. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and, wow. and so That's that tough. was pretty nerve-wracking, especially yeah. when they were big shows. I remember one in particular, like I'd, I'd probably been playing with them for a year or two at that point when we did um, the main stage at Big Day Out and they, and we hadn't been playing Polyester Girl, I think. I don't really remember why, but just in the last 10 minutes we had a rehearsal for big for the big day out tour and uh in the last like 10 minutes ben was like oh maybe we should do uh polyester girl <laughs> and um and they were like oh let's play it in this other key like we sort of like we were like playing around with different keys to, to yeah. you know be able to sing right and stuff and so i think i played the song once with the band in rehearsal and you know that song is just all keyboards like i had yeah. to play everything um so I think I played the song once with the band and then the next time I played it was in front of 30,000 people. Fucking and hell. And as soon as I played that thing, like, everyone just goes, ah, like crazy. Yeah, wow. And I remember at that point, like, my hand probably shook as much as Shane's would have. Before. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck. But, yeah. um, but, you know, like, I got through it and it was fine. It was just, you know, they put me in those kind of situations a lot and I think I learned so much about being a performer playing with them because yeah there's constantly like you know like at the last minute change the song to d flat like it was so many like fuck okay um and i'm not one of those musicians that can just change keys willy-nilly you know me neither the the (laughs) only way i could do that is if i've got a capo and i just Mm. like move it up or down the neck yeah exactly if somebody at the last minute said Oh, we're going to change the key, and I'd have to learn it a whole new bunch of chords, and fuck, yeah. I'd do my head in. 
Yeah, it was pretty weird. But on the other hand, like it was very rare that I played anything with polyphony. So it was mostly just like notes. So it wasn't as difficult. But still, you know, pretty scary as a young lady. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So let's let's do some backstory. Let's do some uh, origin story stuff. Okay. And and tell me, um, let's start off like where you grew up and, and a little bit about your your family um, um, your parents and so I grew up in I was born in Germany um, in uh, Kassel which is sort of south it's not too far from Frankfurt okay um, but my whole family like my extended family all live in the north so they live like sort of near um, Bremen and Hamburg up there right I have one older brother who I've done he was in Sekiden with me and he also um, produced and recorded my solo album. Um, oh, so I didn't realize he produced yeah. and recorded that. So great yeah. record. Oh, thanks. Um, so yeah, so I was born in Germany, and then we moved to Australia because my my dad worked for Mercedes, and he got like a five year contract in Melbourne. Ah, right. And so we all moved to Melbourne, and so sorry, uh, when was that? What that was in nineteen eighty eight. So right. I I was. Seven. Seven. <clears throat> or six, so, just about to turn seven. So, I mean, what what was that like, coming to the other side of the world? I'm assuming, like, you would have already spoken English, right? No, I had zero English. You, oh, zero. So, I, I remember I took English classes because I went to a Steiner school in Germany and in Melbourne. Um, uh. But the Steiner school in, in Germany... Um, I had an English teacher and he, you know, but I was only in grade one. So he would pass like these wooden animals around and he would say what they were. And he passed me a wooden cow and he said bear because he thought it was a bear. But I was like, okay. So so I, in my mind, the only thing I really knew in English was was bear. Bear. But I thought it meant cow. cow. (laughs) Um. And I think I knew yes and no, and that's it. So then, yeah, my brother and I got sent to the Steiner School, and it was really great going to the Steiner School because, you know, it's sort of alternative learning yeah. philosophy and, and you learn a lot through stories and pictures and it's all very, like, visceral. And um, so I think that really helped uh, my brother and I learn English quite quickly. I mean, what was your experience in primary school and stuff like was there a period of like um, culture shock and stuff? Or like, I mean, do you remember? I know you're still so young, but I definitely remember there being issues with, um, you know, my my parent, my dad had pretty pretty good English, um, and my mum had, you know, they'd both both learnt English in in school, but yeah, you know, it's not really conversational. It, it was sort of like very basic. Um, I think it was, yeah, it was difficult for them. And I remember it always being a really massive panic moment when the phone rang in our house in those early <laughs> days. <laughs> that, wow. that, that first year was, you know, because none of us were confident enough <laughs> to talk English. So I definitely wow. remember that. And I remember, um, yeah, just, I guess it was really different just being, yeah, I, you know, I remember like the sounds, you know, the the different animals there's so much wildlife in Australia and we just didn't have that in Germany 
And I remember like that, you know, I've, I panicked once because I thought there was an old man grunting in my window. And then I looked outside. And it was this really cute koala that was like, oh my heat, God. like on heat or something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. So I was like, fuck, there's a man at my window. And then I'm like, oh no, it's just, it's like. It's just a koala. Little, oh no, it's on heat. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck it out. Um, so, yeah, I do remember like pretty weird things that, you know, were very, very different to where we came from. I mean, it's a massive change of yeah. lifestyle and of Yeah, everything. and I'm sure, I'm sure they did think about that a lot before we did it. Um, but I also think, I'm, I'm sure they would have thought too, like, you know, it's an adventure and it would be good for us kids to experience yeah. something new. And I guess the plan was always to go back after five years. Right, but then at that point, we were so um, we were so kind of assimilated, and we were yeah. so like, you know, my brother and I, yeah, my brother and I would have been teenagers almost, yeah. and um, it would have been so difficult at that point for us to go back and finish school in Germany, mm. you know, mm. yeah. So um, yeah, so I think so. Then we ended up staying, and we ended up moving to Brisbane. Um, again for like dad, dad found a job in Brisbane. So, um, and yeah, so that's how, how we came up here. And were your parents, you know, you, were your parents m- musically minded? Did they introduce you to music or did you kind of find it on your own? No. So they, they're massive music fans. So my right. dad, my dad had a, a pretty big vinyl collection that, I used to trawl through and, and listen to stuff and it was all like, you know, 60s pop because he grew up, you know, in the, um, he was a teenager in the 60s. So he, um, yeah, so he would have he would have got all that stuff back then and I just love the idea of, you know, my dad listening to the, he He had all of the, the Hollies and the Beatles and Manfred Mann and like all of that stuff. So I definitely right. grew up listening to all of that 60s pop and he's a massive Stones fan and, but it was always like the early stuff, you know, like like mid mid sixties pop stuff. So I was always really obsessed with that as well as I was growing up. Yeah. Um. And I have I've t- I've told this story and um. I, when I did that women of letters thing, but I was really really obsessed with John Lennon when I was younger. No way. And, yeah, and I used to like I used to tell my parents that I would marry him when I was older and. Um, I slept with a this open book, of, like it was like a Beatles book that my dad had. Um, of there's a picture of John Lennon leaning up against the tree, <laughs> and um, and I used to sleep with it, like the, this oh. book open next to my bed. Um, and I was just completely besotted and obsessed with him. <laughs> and then like one day, my dad had to say like, oh. You know, John Lennon died before you were born. Oh, <laughs> I was so heartbroken. I think I oh, cried God. for ages. <laughs> what's, what's your favourite John Lennon song? I think it's always been "You've Got to Hide Your Love Away," and I think yeah, that's right. maybe because I watched Beautiful that. Song. Um, I watched Help that the yeah. the movie a lot because my dad had it on VHS. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I love I love that scene where he plays it in that little like um. You know, there's like like a little, um, uh, like a what's it called? Like a not a raised seat, but like a like a declined like little thing in their house. Like a I've hole. never I've I've never seen the movie. I've never. Oh, seen you help. should watch it. Yeah. I know. Let's watch I, it together. I haven't, seen, I haven't <laughs> seen any of the any of the Beatles movies. So. 
You should. Yeah. It's great. Just, I mean, it's stupid, but it's like it was my whole childhood. I watched that thing a lot. So that's um, a, I always love that. I love about that song. Um, and yeah, I like it would definitely be one of my favorite Lennon songs as well um, in the Beatles era anyway. Um, is like, I think he wrote it. Did he write it when he was with his first wife? And he yeah, was, there I think was still so. that sort of. He, they were under that pressure to kind of like still be, uh, you know, because they were pop stars and they had yeah. all these screaming, you know, teenage yeah, yeah. fans and stuff that they were like, they they didn't want anybody to know. That's right. He had to hide it. Yeah, because, so that, because they were worried that it might kind of affect that kind of hysterical sort of fandom that was going on and it's just yeah, like it's so weird now when you think of it isn't it ah totally yeah but yeah. it really i mean knowing that definitely kind of i mean it's still like a beautiful raw awesome song yeah regard, regardless of yeah. of the back of knowing that backstory but i definitely when i learned about that like after knowing the song it definitely kind of imbued it with a imbued the song with a kind of I don't yeah know, for sure but it is also like when you're young and you listen to that song, you can find so much meaning in it, you know, because it's just like someone, someone that's shy, you know. You can you can put that view on it, and I think that's the oh, way that I always that I always thought. Great, you know, I love that interpretation. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I listened to um, I listened to Dad's records a lot, um, and I used to make myself like little mixtapes of of my favorite songs on those records. Yeah. Um, so, but but my parents never played any instrument. My mum played a little bit of guitar, but yeah. we had a we had a piano in the house. My grandmother is a really beautiful pianist, um, and so yeah, we always had a lot of stuff around to play. And then my brother, my brother took up guitar, and then you know I just always wanted to do what he did, um. So I wanted to, but I wanted to sort of have my own thing. So I took up the piano and I started right. having piano lessons and I had some right. viol- violin lessons. So the piano was your, it was your sort of entry, in, entry point into, you know, what would later be playing keyboards and synths. Cause you're a, yeah. a massive, uh, synth aficionado, right? Yeah. <laughs> synth enthusiast. Enthusiast. Synth enthusiast. Synth enthusiast. Synth enthusiast. I like it. <laughs> That's way harder than older brother drummer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, way harder. Yeah. Synth That's a little throwback to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are we are continuing on. If you haven't listened to Sayer's podcast here, say, well then yes, there will be certain references that you may not uh, understand. And all you need to do is listen to Hearsay <laughs> and you will and you will know what we're what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> when did second and for how did how did second and kind of form out of out of all of that? Uh, so my brother and Simon, who is the guitarist and singer in second and, we all went to school together. But I was in grade eight, my brother was in grade ten, and Simon was in grade twelve. Um, so they had I was too young to hang out with them then, but they had yeah. they had a band and they had this bass player, um, and I think this was maybe when Mirko, my brother, was. Maybe you'd already finished school or we were sort of in grade 12 that, you know, they started gigging around Brisbane. And then um, one day the bass player just got the shits and didn't turn up to rehearsal. And I think he just sort of had it. He just didn't want to do it anymore. Right. And um, my brother had a couple of keyboards 
And so they they just called me in to the bedroom where they were rehearsing and I said, hey, do you want to like just play some stuff? And so I did. And then the next thing they knew, the next thing I knew, they'd they'd organized a show. It was just like a house party, someone's house party. And I shit myself because I was so, I never really <laughs> wanted to perform. Like I was so nervous. I was such a shy, nervous kid. So I was terrified to to perform in front of people. But um, I ended up kind of really liking it. And then we just got asked to play people's parties. And then, you know, and then we started like playing around Brisbane. And I was still really young. I think I was only 16 when we started yeah, right. Second In. So I used to have to either lie to get into the bars where we were playing or I'd have to, you know, like sign some kind of thing, a waiver basically saying I, I wasn't allowed to drink or wow. um, I'd have to be like my mum would have to come. <laughs> so what So um, what year would that have been roughly? I think that was like 97. Because when Jeb and I first started in 95, me and Chris were still 17. Um, yeah. And we never used to have to sign anything or... Anything like that? We used. I think there was just sort of a very vague kind of spoken agreement that like you're allowed to bands allowed to play in our pubs, club or whatever, but you're not allowed to drink. But then you just sort of then did it secretly do. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I like, and I loved the fact that I had this, you know, I, because you know I didn't turn eighteen until October, so yeah. a lot of my friends were turning eighteen throughout the year and. The band kind of afforded me this ability to kind of, uh, or to get in to that that kind of world a little bit earlier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <than I> otherwise, <laughs> yeah, might me, have been me able too. To, <laughs> which I kind of really liked. Yeah, I liked it too. I, I can remember, like you know, drinking fucking ter- horrible like uh, alka <laughs> pops, you know, and yeah. in the corner of the room, you know, hiding it and everything, but um. Yeah, I remember that too, certainly. <laughs> but I, I mean, I probably played more shows where, you know, they didn't ask. So, yeah, you know, it was yeah. just like whatever. But yeah, I remember that I was still in high school and it was all very like controversial. And I think my parents were a bit worried, maybe, right. you know, I was going out late and playing shows. Yeah. But I started to really like it. And then I think after that, um, you know, we started getting supports for bigger bands and um, we put out, we had a couple of cassette tapes that we'd put out and it was just sort of, I think we started to get into printing CDs, just like one-offs and giving them to people. But we definitely gave out a, a lot of tapes. Yeah. And then one of the tapes ended up in Steve Pav's hand. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think that the story is, he said that later on to us that he'd heard from various sources and I think one of them was... My best friend Lucy, who'd done some, I think she'd met him through um, Students for Free Tibet, where she was doing some work with right. Stephen and Adam Yauk and stuff. Tim Stewart from Scream Feeder had also given him a tape. And, oh, wow. And so he was kind of like, oh, you know, the people are talking about this band, so I'm going to set up a meeting and, and try and get them to sign to Modular, which I think had only just begun. Like he'd right. only just sort of just started Modular. And I think he'd had just like, he maybe had already signed cut copy and, but it was like pre, um, you know, pre avalanches and all that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then the next thing we knew we were getting signed to modular and it was sort of like a two EPs and an album deal, I think. Um, 
but yeah, so that's kind of how that all th- that whole thing happened. It was yeah, it's really it felt like it happened really quickly, but it was probably over a couple of years. You know, were you touring a lot? You, yeah, did, so that's did, when did the I tour think, life kind of take over. Definitely, and yeah. I think at that point, yeah, I I was at uni studying linguistics. Oh and, wow! Okay, um, what? So tell me about that. Um, well, I sort of. I sort of always wanted to do something with language because I was always, um, you know, I kept up speaking German with my family and everything. And I thought if I did linguistics, um, you know, I could, I was doing linguistics and French and German. So I thought if I, you know, if I could sort of put all the, all of those things together, I could be right. like an interpreter or translator. Yeah, or something. cool. But then I never really like, I don't know, <laughs> I just like didn't really have like have the, stamina to do it in the end we got offered um a tour with supergrass and then i just quit <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have, uh, look i get it man same you know i i, I dropped out of uni as, as soon as uh as soon as the opportunity to do music you know all the time presented yeah. itself you know and we yeah. got signed i was just starting my second year of uni when we or just before we got signed and yeah i got yeah. out of there because i knew the uh, and there was an opportunity to just tour around and play all the time yeah. it's just it's a very attractive opportunity and you know the kind of thing that you know that stuff doesn't come along every day yeah that's right I felt like I think that that supergrass tour was just during the exam block and so I really had to make a choice like right. I c- couldn't miss it um, how so how deep into your degree were you I think I was only about a year and a half in okay yeah yeah um yep. but you know it I should have gone back, but I did my, like I said, my heart wasn't in it. I didn't really, when I think about logistically, like being a translator, interpreter, I just, I have no interest in, in doing (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's easy to kind of, because I've been the same, it's easy to look back and go, oh, fuck, I wish I had just somehow found a way to just like finish that degree and whilst just being on the road and had that presence of mind. But, you know, like, it's just not. Fuck it's it. Just, <laughs> it's just not, we wouldn't just, be the people we are today if we'd finished it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you're just not thinking like that at the time. No. You know, it's what so were you easy. studying? Uh, I, I wanted to be a journalist, so oh, I was yeah. doing a, I was doing an art, an arts degree, you know, yeah. communications, communication studies. I think it was called. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought you know being a journalist was kind of what I. Uh, what I wanted to do because I was just loved writing, you know, so it was a job that, you know, it was a very uh, practical kind of job for somebody who enjoyed to write. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, given that the sort of creative fields of writing, whether it's music or literature or whatever, very (laughs) difficult, you know, very difficult fields to, uh, as we both know, to kind of, you know, have a career in. So, that's but right. yeah, at, at the first at the, at the first opportunity to, uh, <laughs> to to play tour around Australia in a rock and roll band, I was like, "Yep, yeah, same." It was because it was like, <laughs> you know, and I know this kind of may sound like a bit of a cliche or that I'm overstating it, but it really was a ticket to fucking freedom. Yeah, you know, a ticket out of a institutionalized kind of rigid kind of life that was dependent. You know, whether it be dependent on parents or dependent on this, an institution to kind of become educated and stuff like. Yeah, it was, for it was sure. A tic- it was a ticket out of there to kind of be, 
free um, yeah. of all of that. And that's, you know, incredibly alluring. You can't yeah. Under, you can't understate how fucking attractive that's that, right. that option is. That's right. I, I'm interested to kind of know, to kind of get an idea from you about like your experience as a woman in the music industry and how, if have you ever been sort of subject to kind of sexism in the music industry and you know how much of a part has gender kind of played in your experience i know that's a really broad kind of question to ask yeah no worries i um i've definitely felt uh, certainly in the early days when i was really young um i remember going on a tour with alex lloyd or maybe we just played one show with him in brisbane or something and his road crew were just fucked like at the time, um, it was a was really long, long time ago. When you were playing ago. in second end? Yeah, very long time ago. And I remember they, they sort of, this one dude in particular who I, I don't even remember his name, um, uh, you know, was like really condescending and, and, you know, I asked him for a, like a power board or something and he made some joke about something horrible. And um, and I remember after sound check, like having a little cry because <laughs> I would have been like probably like 16 or something or 17. What did he say? I think he said something like, like, oh, you're just a girl. You probably don't even know where to plug stuff in or something like something. Yeah. I can't really remember, but I remember it just being like, it was definitely like a, I'm a man, you're a woman and you don't yeah. know what you're doing. Yeah. And I remember that was the first time that I went, oh, fuck, I think there is a difference you know there because because I, I was always just playing in, in a band with two guys and every band mm. that we toured with was mostly dudes so I, I was yeah. really used to like always just just feeling like one of the guys um yeah. but that was the first time I actually realized oh I think people do treat women differently on tour and you need to be really mindful of making sure that you know that that doesn't happen and to yeah. and also to sort of know your shit and and to be able to say well actually you know this is what i need like i you know instead of going my, my brother will tell you my tech specs <laughs> you know yeah, what i mean yeah. it's so, interesting and it's almost like it's like feeling like you need to when you talk about saying you know need to know your shit it's like needing to kind of over like pre- be overly prepared so yeah. that you know more because from my point of view, I've never been technically minded. You know, I've yeah. so you know, and I've been doing this for fucking twenty years, <laughs> and I've never been technically minded or really understand understood how to talk tech speak. Yeah, but like I've never had any like a anybody kind of make like belittle me for that. It's yeah. kind of like it's it's almost like laughed off, like ah, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah that's know. right. It is different, isn't it? And I, I think I've had to make a special effort to try and be, yeah, try and be all over it and try to, you know, I have to know how to program stuff and I have to know how to record my own demos and I have to know how to produce stuff myself because cause not many women can and I want women to be able to do that. Well, you know, I think more and more women now are, are pros at it and it's great. Totally. But yeah. I think, you know, when I was first starting... Um, I felt like it was, it was this real, like I had to prove myself to everyone yeah. and I had, you know, like I want to know how to, how to, you know, I want to know how to use Ableton and I want to know how to uh, record an album in, in Logic or Pro Tools myself. Not that, you know, like I'm not saying I'm amazing at it, but 
you know, I definitely know how to how to do stuff. You know how to you know how to do stuff, which is more than what I know. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> you know, going when you first started playing in second end and first started touring, you know, did you find solidarity by? Um, meeting other women, playing Absolutely. in bands and yeah, forming yeah. your own kind of communities and stuff. Yeah, well, I, I think definitely like second end touring, we, we were always touring with mainly dudes, but then, you know, when we did tour with Magic Dirt or Scream Feeder or, you know, bands around that time or, you know, or Jebediah, um, there was definitely that like instant, you know what it's like feeling. Um, and I think a lot of those women... Uh, that we toured with around that time, like really took me under their wing as well. Um, And I always really appreciated that. And I was also like, you know, and a a lot of those women were like way tougher than me. (laughs) (laughs) And I I always was inspired by that, you know, like I remember, um, you know, like Adelita, someone called out, show us your tits. And she made the security guard get that guy and throw him out of the venue. And I remember like thinking that's so fucking cool. I don't know if I would ever have been brave enough at that time in my life to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely inspired by the people. And, you know, same with Kelly Lloyd. Like, I was always really in awe of her because she was so tough. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was just sort of learning learning about that stuff um, back then. So, yeah, I definitely... I definitely feel like there was some solidarity there. And I really hope that these days, you know, like I... Um, I do some workshops and teaching at stuff at the university up here in Queensland and I always feel like I want to tell all these young women that you know you can you can do what you want and you don't have to be afraid to to Mm. try you know do what you want to do and I feel like that sort of mentor position is sort of you know the baton's been passed on to me in, in a few ways and I really love it and I really try and encourage people to do what they want to do um and hopefully, you know, they could get some some of that insight that I got from from those amazing women back when I was younger. Yeah. From me. Yep. Uh, um, all right. So, and there's one more thing that we haven't talked about at all. That is kind <gasps> of like a uh, a kind of uh, a kind of leftover from there's a from the <laughs> podcast that we've yes. already done of yours. Yes. Um, so. Um, <laughs> We was been we were talking about in your podcast uh, because one of the things that you do on hearsay is you um, ask your guests about their weirdest ever kind of live performance. Yes, and I've opened up. About you had a this, doozy um, <laughs> about this the Shanghai experience of two thousand and eight. <laughs> now it's two thousand. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's two thousand eight, um, and maybe it was two thousand and seven. Anyway, um, so, yeah, we talk about that kind of pretty much in depth. Now, what I'm going to do um, is I do have a recording of of the <laughs> closing ceremony song. So, basically, if you don't know what – well, you don't know what I'm talking about. So, what you've got to do is you've got to listen to Hearsay, right? <laughs> you to listen to the Hearsay episode with me and where we talk about this, this, this crazy fucking gig. You gotta listen to that. Such an amazing story. And then, and then, this will make more sense. So, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna put up a, a recording of the um, of the song from the closing ceremony of <laughs> the uh, Special Olympics held in Shanghai in China in 2007 or 2008, which I performed at representing Australia, um, along we, with along with um, representatives from different the other continents of the world, being a gospel soul singer from South Africa. Um, <laughs> Some kind of opera singer from South America, I think. Uh, she might have been Argentinian. I'm not sure. Um, some there was a, a band. Uh, well, and I used the word band in the loosest possible way when describing Michael Learns to Rock from Denmark, who uh, <laughs> represented Europe, <laughs> who were like massive stars in China. Um, just even just the intro of who was there was my favorite story ever. Like yeah. just the, just the, yeah. imagining you in your little suit <laughs> with these other people. Yeah, I was. I wore this like always, uh, already really comedic. I wore this <laughs> secondhand suit that I blue suit that I bought from St. Vinnie's, which I still have. Um, and but yeah, and then it was just this, you know, and then the, there was a, a guy, this massive superstar in China representing Asia. It was kind of like, you know, the worst kind of. Musical UN that you can imagine. Um, <laughs> we were all so fucking. I mean, look here. I guess that was the idea. You know, we're all completely different. And yeah. God, God bless diversity. Um, <laughs> but it was very odd. And um, and you know, I, I talk in your podcast at, at length about the sort of circumstances of you know performing at the uh, closing ceremony and, and how yeah. you know and how incredibly surreal it all was. Um, I feel I, like I'd really like to talk to you for another five hours just with questions about that <laughs> performance. <laughs> it's easily the weirdest thing. And like I said, in your, the weirdest thing I've ever done as a musician. And, and like I said in your, in your podcast, like, um, you know, I, I came home from it kind of feeling like, you know, deeply concerned that uh, <laughs> if anybody knew about this, um, my it would be the end of my career and um yeah. it was just yeah we so this i'm gonna i'm gonna um f- I'm, at the end of the, the the podcast i'm gonna uh play the song in full you it'll probably be hard to wait. it'll probably be hard to kind of distinguish w- where when i'm singing you probably won't recognize my voice put it this way because <laughs> it was pre-recorded in a little studio before the event so we just mimed, even though we were all had the Madonna kind of mic- head, <laughs> head, headset microphones on. Uh, it was all pre-recorded, and they auto-tuned my voice to the to such a de- degree that it doesn't even it just sounds like nothing like me. Um, <laughs> but if you ever wondered what, <laughs> and I'd, I'd be deeply disturbed if if you have, but if you've ever wondered what it would sound like if I was in a sort of 80s boy band um <laughs> this will pretty much give you an idea um and yeah there's a there's a <laughs> there's a short spoken the music starts there's a bit of a spoken word section and i, I think um and I, and I think i might be the second uh sort of spoken word bit um and then the music starts and i I actually, they gave me this part which kind of leads into the chorus 
you know, it's this big crescendo at the end of the first verse. Yeah. Where I have to sing, um, um, I can make all the dreams come true. I can feel your heart never lose. Um, and then it leads into the chorus of We Are the Life. Um, Was everyone auto tuned? I doubt whether anyone was auto-tuned as much as I was there. <laughs> <laughs> because the other guys could actually sing. Come um, on. I you got a lovely voice. I was definitely the most... You know what? I remember being in the studio, in the studio, like, doing the... Recording the parts. And I remember just thinking, like, these fucking guys in the studio must just be thinking, uh, what is... What are we working with here? <laughs> I can't even fucking sing, you know. Like, how did this? How, like, is this the best Australia has? Like, is this all they've got? This is shit. Did Guy Sebastian say no? Look, you know, Guy Sebastian would have been brilliant. You know, oh, look, I'm sure you, were, but he probably sure did you say wonderful. no. Um, well, look. Um, although I am, I'm, I'm kind of, like I mentioned in your podcast, I, I just. I don't have any specific kind of uh, memories about this, but I just have a feeling that I just remember somebody saying something about it, maybe this had been offered to somebody else in Australia and they'd passed on it. I don't yeah, know right. Who, I don't know who it was. It could have been fucking anyone. <laughs> Josh um, Pike. <laughs> no, definitely not because he knows about this. He knows about this. I know. You guys um, were taunting me I've with the story. Yeah, you were dangling a... the story in front of my drunken eyes on yeah, Friday. When we saw each other, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, so yeah, I'm gonna at the end of this podcast, we're gonna play the song. You can listen to yes. it, and um, you know, um, and then it'll be Christmas time, and we can all we can all come back in the new year and see if <laughs> see if <laughs> see if the world still exists. <laughs> So uh, let's move on to, um, I want to get into the, uh, the uh, this thing that I do is anybody who listens to the podcast will, will know that, um, you know, my guests, I ask my guests to uh, to reveal their top 25 most played songs on iTunes, which is a playlist that you can kind of, you know, just access and it, and it, it kind of tallies what you're listening to and it can often sort of spring up some pretty interesting kind of stuff um yep mine so, definitely did <laughs> yeah well it, it's funny you know and everybody everybody kind of goes into this with a little bit of trepidation because they because sometimes they don't feel like the their most played list represents exactly the you know them and their listening habits you know for anybody that's got kids you know you end up playing music for them and that kind of yeah. adds up at the tally or you know, when you are in a band and you write music, you listen to a lot of your own kind of demos and mixes yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you look like a narcissistic <laughs> motherfucker when your top 25 songs are all you. Yeah. <clears throat> Not that that has <clears throat> anything to do with mine. Um, but um, So normally the way we kind of play this game is um, I just kind of throw out a number. Yeah. And, uh, and you... Sort of tell me what it is, and we and we sort of go from there. So, have you got the list in front of you? Got my list. All right. I've got I've got one to thirty-one. Wow. Okay. Well, 
Yeah, we normally do about three. So let's let's go. I don't think I've ever asked. Let's go twenty-five. What's twenty-five? Twenty-five. Uh, twenty-five is "Ready to Start" by Arcade Fire. Okay. Um, um, which is off their Suburbs. Yes. Album. The um, which which is almost probably as known to mo- to many people as the album that won the Grammy yeah, for controversially, Record of the Year. Yeah. Controversially only not only because mainstream America and, and, and whatnot didn't know who they were. Yeah, that's right. But it's a, and it's, a it's such a good album. Record. It's yeah. such a deserving record and um but yeah, I do just I do remember very well the kind of, you know, the conversation that happened after that. Yeah. There was and so I actually think they, I feel like they made, yeah, that's right. I feel like maybe they played this song at those Grammys and I don't, I feel like it didn't help the situation because it's like, it's really like this sort of continuous um, uh, kind of like really simple beat um, and it's really in your face and, and it's a bit like, I don't know. I think there's, there would have been songs on that album more suited to sort of, um, allure a different audience and I don't know if this one was <laughs> that choice but I fucking love this song like it's just got really great lyrics and um, it's got some really cool little keyboard bits in it too which I'm always drawn to I think um, I remember hearing that song Modern Man off the same record oh, yeah. the following, on uh, on the radio on Triple J yeah. quite a bit and I fucking love that song as well yeah I love that so, song too so good. Yeah, like I just, I mean, I think that Ready to Start song has does that really sort of um, semitonal guitar thing at the start that is, you know, can sound really grating um, to a lot of listeners. But I think that, I mean, that's sort of the reason why I love that band because I've always got those bits that, you know, could sound quite possibly sound painful to some, but they make them sound beautiful in some kind of way. Mm. Can you um, remember how you first came across the record? I've just I've been a fan of theirs for a really long time, and I I think it was when Sekiden were touring in Canada a lot because they're we had a Canadian a, band, right? Yeah, they're a Canadian yeah. band, and our friends were telling us about them, and I think that was before they re- that before they released that first record that sort of blew up. Um, yeah, I just and I've just been a fan ever since, and they were on the, on this big day out tour that that Regurgitator did, um, and I was stoked because I got to see them every day. Um, all right, let's go to another number. How okay. about number 10? Number 10. Hey, number 10 is um, Palimpsest by Smog. Okay. Um, so what's the name of the song again? Palimpsest, I think. <laughs> I don't really know how to say it. How is it spelled? P-A-L-I-M-P-S-E-S-T. Jesus Christ. What? Hang on. P A L. What is it? P A L I. Hang on. I'm going to write it into Google and make sure. <laughs> You're going to cut this bit out, right? Yeah. Depends. Sometimes. Sometimes the bits that you think you're going to cut out are actually really funny to listen to. <laughs> okay. Palimpsest 
is a manuscript or piece of writing material on which later writing has been superimposed on effaced earlier writing. Right. And what's how do you spell it again? <laughs> P A L. Yeah. I M. Yeah. P S E S T. Palimpsest. Palimpsest. Wow. Fest. And what's palimpsest? <laughs> oh, whatever. Let's pick another one. No, no, that's a good one. So I don't know this song. I've, 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 I, I know a little bit about smog, but I've got. Tell, tell us about this song. Okay, Apart so from this the fact song... that it has a, a title that is barely pronounceable. <laughs> Let alone so spellable. this song, um, I, this song sort of starts with this really sort of um, monotonic. Um, acoustic guitar line that's this really sort of simplistic um thing and then uh, the reason why i think i started obsessing over this song was because i went to see smog live and he opened with this song and he sort of like goes on he sort of hams it up a bit like he he plays this opening line of the song for ages and then this amazing like when he starts actually strumming and starts singing it just sounds it's so powerful um, because he's been doing, you know, he's just been playing single notes for so long. Um, and, you know, if you've ever heard Smog, you know, his voice is so deep and um, it's just pa- sort of powerful to listen to anyway. Um, and it's got really beautiful lyrics. And, yeah, I just remember that, like, when the chords come in, it's just one of those, like, you know, flushing warm feelings through your body kind of moments. Is there a connection between the lyrics and the song title that you're aware of? Um, I think the song is sort of about, um, well, no, I just remember like he, it's a, he sings like, um, like, why is everybody looking at me? Um, like I'm a Southern bird that stayed North too long. And I mm. always really love that lyric. Um, yeah. I don't know why. I don't really know what the song's about. It's just pretty. Yeah. Okay. Instead of going for number one, what's number two? What's just, what's. What's, oh, well, number two is one of those ones. So number two is Stars My Destination, The Stars My Destination by Ben Salter. Um, and it's uh, yeah. a song of his that, because I've played keyboards for Ben recently. Right. Um, so that was probably, A, me learning it, because I, I, I sing on this song on his record too. So it was probably a combination of me listening to mixes and <laughs> learning to play the song. Learning other people's songs, you know, you're someone that's like played in a few different bands. I know it's probably different to to second end, but certainly Regurgitator and Ben Salter and stuff. Yeah. How do you go learning other people's songs? Does it get easier the more you do it? Um, or well, is it I just think that every it's time in, just different. It's different, and I I think w- with Ben Salter it was a really different experience because um, the other bands that I've played in have had like this certain similar sensibility to 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 me and what I do and what I did in Sekiden. So, you know, like I've, I I played like mainly like, you know, synthesizers made in the 80s. <laughs> and <laughs> a lot of them are mono, monophonic, so I can only play one note at a time. Oh, right, okay. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, I'd, I'd play a lot of, um, yeah, but that, I mean, that's just like one one of the keyboards is always monophonic and then the and that one is really sort of fun to program and make crazy noises with and mm. then the other one I'd be able to play 
uh, chords and stuff. But so the people I have played played with, which is like Rick Ergitator, Spod, Dave McCormack, um, you know, and a few others, they, they have that similar sort of vibe, you know, right. like I, I can yeah. do what I do in, in their band. Yeah. Um, and with Salter, it was really different because he has a lot of piano and organ on his records and in, and when he asked me to do his tour, I, I had to say, I don't actually have any, I have like, I'm surrounded by keyboards, but I, I have zero keyboards that make a piano sound. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't, I don't have that kind you of thing. You don't have a and, Nord? No, and Nord I've, I'm really, and... I've been shit mouthing Nords my whole life. Like <laughs> I've got a real bee in my bonnet about them, but for Ben's band, I just had to play one because yeah. that's what he needed. And so that's it was... The, uh... <clears throat> It's the industry yeah. standard for. It's, uh, it is. It's that, and That's what I've come to learn. <laughs> that's what I've come to learn. Well, like, what is your? T- tell me a little bit about your beef with. You know, not that we want to sort of get into like, slagging <laughs> a particular brand of keyboard for. Well, that doesn't really matter. But well, I'm just curious. I'm really curious. Well, I think that um, you know it's virtual analog. So yeah, and that pissed me off because uh, yeah. I was always like such an analog fiend. And I know that sounds really wanky, but, and I'm not like that anymore. Like I certainly, you know, I use Ableton Live and I use a lot of like digital stuff now when I play live. Um, But at the, you know, when they came out, I remember just feeling really snobby about them. And I always thought there's, you know, there's better ways of creating those sounds. Like, for example, even sampling them and and using a sample keyboard, um, you know, is, in my book, just seemed like right. it would it would sound better because Nords always yeah. sound like Nords. They don't necessarily yeah. sound like piano and yeah. and organs. So I just thought, oh, you can just you can do it better and more creatively. But having said that, it's really good having one thing in a box that works, you know. And I've definitely learned that over the years <laughs> when my shit's broken that was made in the eighties. You know, it's like well, this is the thing. I mean, you know, when you're touring, so many of your sort of decisions creative decisions or production decisions are kind of just based around practicality yeah you know like what what you can practically shift around from place to place and you know what what's going to just work in that very limited kind of environment sometimes you know all right well i want to say a massive thank you to you sayer for um not only joining me on my podcast, but also having me as a guest on yours. Oh, thank um, you. We've Thanks been for talking. Me on yours. We've been yeah, talking. We've been for talking like, for fucking hours. <laughs> for like for pretty much like three hours combined. <laughs> so uh, it's been yeah. really lovely. I feel like we should do this more often. Yeah. Just well, talk let's... talk for three hours every now and again. Yeah. Well, maybe. I mean, maybe um, in the new year. We can, because I, I feel like we've only scratched the surface about, I, I still feel like I've got a lot of stuff to work through about yeah. my Shanghai experience. And, yeah, I have so many questions. Um, maybe we can get together and do a podcast where we just kind of talk about, we go in depth into the song. Okay. Um, and I just, I still <laughs> feel like I'm only just start. I feel like I need, still need some pretty heavy therapy. I can, um, I can facilitate just, it. We've just scratched the surface of it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you feeling okay about the story being out there? 
Uh, look, I'm nervous. I'll be honest with you. I'm nervous, of course, because this has been a secret that I've held on to. I for, know. For I feel eight or like nine it, years. it's such a good story, though. I don't think you, I think people will find it endearing. Well, I guess I feel like at this point in my life, I don't have much to lose, so yeah. I may as well just kind of you know put <laughs> it out there, and and you know people will either find it incredibly funny or incredibly weird, or you know it doesn't really matter. Like I said. To before in your podcast, you know, when this happened, I was still getting played on Triple J, and I'm not getting played on Triple J anymore, so, you know, <laughs> fuck what, it. I, what the fuck does it matter? <laughs> no one buys my records anymore. Fucks, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> give less fucks, So, yeah, you know. So, oh, look. this has been really lovely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Saya, and... Um, thank you. Be, uh, so, what happens now? Like, uh, what have you got coming up? Have you got... Um, I've got a, um, I'm doing a couple of shows with Regurgitator in January. We're doing the Velvet Underground and Nico album. I've heard um, of this. And so I get to be Nico, which cool. is pretty great. Um, but it's also really funny because, you know, we've done it a couple of times. I think maybe we just did it once at NGV and afterwards people came up to me and they said, oh, you really nailed Nico. You know, like you, you're such a <laughs> great Nico. And I felt almost offended (laughs) (laughs) what are you saying (laughs) um but no it's it's been really fun and I love I love being Nico and it's you know it's totally different version we've got this amazing girl um she's like playing a um a Chinese stringed instrument um and yeah so that's definitely different and it's been super fun doing stuff with those guys. And then Quan and I are recording a hip-hop album. Yes, I've heard about this. <laughs> Which is really funny. Really, um, it's been super fun. And it's also just really, um, really different to anything else I've ever done. So it takes a lot of brain power to try and write raps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the thing that blows me away the most about rap music and then the little experience I've had of trying to ape it is that um, there's just so many fucking words and they yeah, go so fast. Yeah. And like it, that just blows my, like I think about like hip hop records and the amount of lyrics they write yeah. across, across an album. Yeah. It's just massive. I know. It's really hard. And then so Quan and I did like a little rap performance, just the one song um, at the Queensland Poetry Festival and – I've, I don't think I've ever been so nervous. Like I, I just was mainly just so nervous that I would forget all the lyrics. <laughs> but it was really great. It was so fun. And like it's, yeah, it's just like nothing I've ever done before. So it's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Um, I'll send you. Have you heard our first single? I'll send it to you. Yes, you please do. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Heapsayer. Thanks, Kev. Love 
can make miracles. We'll try and we'll feel each other. And I can make all the dreams come true. I can feel your heart. Never leave. I see your smile when stars are shining down. From this moment we will stay together. I can feel precious but